Chapter Three of Sixteenth Century Bristol by John Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. To modern readers, the most interesting fact preserved in the state papers in relation to the local chantries is the numbering of the inhabitants of Bristol, which they luckily record. The royal mandate to the chantry commissioners required the church wardens not only to produce a detailed account of the yearly proceeds of each chantry estate but also to return the number of inhabitants dwelling in each parish and this census accordingly stands at the head of each parochial report whatever may have been the knavery of the commissioners in underestimating for the benefit of two of themselves the value of the confiscated property neither the visitors nor the local authorities had any inducement to misrepresent the actual population of a city in a few parishes the numbering seems to have been made with scrupulous exactness in others the round figures shows that the church wardens were content to offer an approximate estimate of the housing people living within their respective boundaries but it is unlikely that any of their returns were intentionally magnified or diminished, for no purpose could be served by falsification. The following are the figures. Parish of St. Werburgh, 160. St. James, 520. St. Thomas, 600. St. Philip, 514. St. John, 227. St. Nicholas, eight hundred st peter four hundred christchurch three hundred and twenty six st stephen four hundred and sixty one st mary redcliffe six hundred all saints one hundred and eighty temple four hundred and eighty st ewan fifty six st leonard a hundred and twenty st michael two hundred and fifty two st mary leeport a hundred and eighty with a total of five thousand eight hundred and seventy six as there were no chantries in st augustine the less which had been a dependency of the neighbouring abbey a census of that parish does not appear the number of inhabitants however must have been inconsiderable for with the exception of a fringe of dwellings at and near st augustine's back college green frog lane and limekiln road the district was divided into grassland and garden ground thus the total population of the city apparently did not much exceed six thousand similar returns for the city of gloucester show an aggregate population of three thousand one hundred and fifty nine one seeks in vain for definite information as to the police and sanitary arrangements that were in force at the date of the above census in fifteen o eight the corporation passed an ordinance declaring that the mayor two aldermen and the forty men common councillors were entitled to levy dues on the goods of the townsmen as well as on rents as on merchandise but this power seems to have been exercised only on great emergencies and if the audit books may be trusted local rates in the modern sense were unknown 
the paving of the chief thoroughfares was compulsory on the owners of the frontage each maintaining the surface of the street as far as the central gutter the lighting of the streets at night was never dreamt of such scavenging as was thought indispensable was long undertaken by a single individual who sought his remuneration from the good will of the householders but in fifteen forty three the common council resolved to pay this public servant sixteen dimes per week or twenty shillings per quarter and as the luckless raker could not live on this stipend and continued his perquisitions he was afterwards voted twelve shillings a year extra because he shall take no toll in fifteen fifty seven the council increased his salary to twelve pounds per annum but relief from this charge was immediately secured by ordering a collection to be made from the citizens it is not stated on what basis the money was levied but the whole outlay was brought in and the only corporate disbursement was two pence weekly for keeping the front of the council house and guild hall in decent order even a parsimonious trader could hardly have grumbled at having to contribute some small fraction of a penny towards raising four shillings six dimes a week about the same date the civic body laid out three shillings eight dimes for a lantern to hang at Froome gate and there is also mention of a lantern at the high cross but no payment occurs for candles except occasionally on the midsummer watch night when sixpence might be laid out for tapers at the cross mendicants becoming increasingly troublesome a new official styled the master of the beggars was appointed in fifteen thirty two and provided with a yearly coat and the modest salary of three shillings four dimes per quarter subsequently raised to five shillings from which one must infer that he was employed rather for occasional show than for daily use mendicity indeed was not merely tolerated before the invention of poor rates but actually patronized by the corporation the following items occur in the audit book under march fifteen seventy one paid for graving a mould of the tang's arms to cast in tin for forty badges to set upon twenty poor people to go into somerset to seek relief two shillings seven pounds tin to cast them four shillings eight dimes cast in and making holes whereby they might be sewed upon their backs and breasts two shillings six dimes thread one dime finally the provisions for the suppression of crime and for the preservation of good order were ludicrously feeble the corporation maintained a staff of four sergeants remunerated by fees but these officers when not in attendance upon the magistrates as they were expected to be daily were largely employed in the legal business arising out of civil actions in the mayor's and sheriff's court and naturally shirked all duties that offered no prospect of remuneration parish constables again were selected yearly one half at the midsummer watch and the other on st peter's day from the able-bodied residents of each ward 
but they rarely undertook active service except when specially summoned to quell disturbances and casual brawls were left to settle themselves when a malefactor was not caught in the act or left no traces of his identity he had evidently little to fear in the shape of detection and retribution one or two corporate ordinances presumably intended to promote the health and safety of the public may be briefly noted there is a current legend that the hop plant came into england with the reformation but it was used by bristol brewers in the reign of henry the seventh to the discontent of the common council who issued an edict in fifteen o five forbidding hops to be put into ale except in the months of june july and august on pain of a penalty of forty shillings and apparently to detect infringements of this order an l connor was appointed in fifteen nineteen who was ordered to go boldly into every brewer's premises to taste his ale and if it was found unwholesome to forbid its sale a few years later this officer was deemed so useful that two connors were appointed with a joint yearly salary of one pound six shillings and eight dimes it was not until fifteen seventy four that an ordinance was enacted forbidding the use of thatch for roofing houses and other buildings in the city soon after the corporation had obtained the royal grant of the chapel on bristol bridge it undertook a work of some importance the construction of two houses on the same thoroughfare of a character far surpassing the customary style of tradesmen's dwellings which rarely exceeded two stories in height the project seems to have been instigated by the receipt of a legacy of one hundred pounds bequeathed for public purpose by one thomas hart and by the payment of one half of a similar bequest of forty pounds left by thomas silk moved by a somewhat cool appeal for further assistance to carry out the design alderman thomas white of london a member of a bristol family remarkable for its liberal benefactions to the city generously presented another one hundred pounds with these funds in hand the common council in fifteen forty eight gave orders for beginning the work which was executed by workmen paid weekly by the chamberlain as the houses were to be chiefly of wood a carpenter was brought down from london as superintendent and was paid one shilling per day the local workmen receiving eight pence and the labourers five pence per head the first order for timber brought in seventeen large trees and many more were required subsequently the chimneys and fireplaces were of brick which appears to have been imported and was costly two parcels costing thirty-eight pounds the bricklayer was paid one shilling per day some old glass was made available and two hundred and fifty-eight feet of new glass cost the high price of sixpence per foot two of the friaries were pillaged for some ornamental stonework probably owing to the workmen being left much to their own devices the building operations extended over eighty-six weeks and the total expenditure was no less 
than four hundred and ninety-five pounds thirteen shillings and four dimes an extraordinary sum for that period the houses were let for six pounds thirteen shillings and four dimes each in fifteen fifty one in which year the corporation which had just rebuilt the tolsey in corn street as a council house set about the erection of a block of warehouses in the old Drury. the locality inhabited by the bristol jews previous to their expulsion from england in twenty ninety and now represented by part of the buildings standing between bell lane and key street the outlay of this undertaking was four hundred and seventy pounds the cost of the new tolsey or council house cannot be ascertained End of chapter 3